This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here are your hosts, Lauren Feldman and Celeste Corrado. Welcome to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, Senior Editor of Entrepreneurship at Forbes, and I'm here with my co-host, Celeste Corrado, Director of the Warden Small Business Development Center. How are you doing, Celeste? I'm doing well, Lauren. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Um I know you usually ask me questions on front end. Can I? Can slip we do that again? Yeah. No. 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 I'm going to turn the tables on you. Okay. I've been what do you dying want to, know? to ask you about the small giants. I'm so glad program. you asked. I know you would be. <laughs> the, tell me about it. In- we uh, at Forbes just released uh, in the last couple of weeks our 2018 list of 25 Forbes small giants, uh, 25 companies that we consider the best small companies that we could find in all of America. Um, we have in pretty, all of America? All of America. Okay. And actually in a little bit of Canada, too. We, t- wow. we took a company from Toronto. Um, these are companies that have to meet pretty stringent requirements. They have to have been around for 10 years. They have to be profitable. They have to be able to demonstrate that they're leaders in their industry. They have to demonstrate that they've done something to uh, give back and connect and engage with their communities. Uh, they have to treat their people well. It's not a best places to work uh, thing because we look at the business overall. Uh, really what we're hoping with all of these is to find – that they've done something special that any business could learn from. They, uh, we want to, you know, learn about new practices, new strategies, things they've figured out. Uh, there's a company on the list uh, called Vital Farms, which uh, is an egg farmer. Uh, they make very high-priced eggs that they figured out a way to convince people to buy. Uh, the the, uh, the eggs come from uh, chickens that. Uh, are not just cage free; they're free range. They have, you know, <laughs> they have lots of land, um, and a lot of people, if they wrote about this business, would focus on the way the chickens are raised. But what we were interested in is the guy who founded the company uh, figured out a way. He, he wanted to expand. He wanted to go national, which he has. He knew he needed capital to do that, but he wanted to remain in control. He wanted to keep control of the company, remain his own boss, and he figured out a way to take private equity. And he, he sort of did it in tranches with a promise that there would be periodic liquidity, liquidity events so that his investors could get their money out if they wanted to. Um, none of them have, have chosen to do that. But, um, but he got a range of investors, uh, none of them with a very big piece of the company, all fairly small pieces. Uh, able to leave when they want, so they don't determine, you know, the uh, when the company has to be sold, or you know, there's no seven-year horizon where something has to change. New ownership, new investors have to come in. He remains in full control of the business. So, you know, that's what we focused on with that company. How and, do you uncover that? Uh, Are you? It's it's it sounds, hard. We have a, yeah. a team of people who spend much of the year trying to meet owners. We we follow up leads all the time. We How take many? suggestions. Yeah, there's a lot of. Many. We take applications, and one of the this thing's gotten more momentum each year. And this year, uh, you know, when we, we first started doing it three years ago, and obviously no one had heard of it. We had to reach out and encourage people to apply. More and more people have heard of it now. This year, we got hundreds of applications, many from really impressive companies, many we had never heard of. We didn't, you know, do any outreach. They found us. Um, and, you know, they range from uh, a really cool uh, ice cream chain in Austin, Texas. Uh, it's called Amy's Ice Cream. I love this. They you know, in their case, they knew they had an issue they had to deal with in that they have a very transient workforce. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. nice cream stand. They hire a lot of college kids. Those college kids are not going to stay very long. They adopted a strategy years ago that they were going to try to make it the best working experience they possibly could for these people because uh, they would spend a couple of years there, then go off and, you know, be great marketing, tell people uh, that they, you know, got an ice cream there and how wonderful the ice cream was, but also great marketing in the sense that they would tell people uh, what a great place to work this is and send, you know, younger friends there. Uh, and they, you know, they created a whole training program. They, they don't have 
uh, pit bosses. Everybody alternates. Everybody gets experience actually running the stand. So that they have what they call – it's run by a woman named Amy Simmons, and they train people in an MB Amy, they call it. Uh, and they send out people prepared – to run their own businesses. And many of the people who have gone through there uh, have, in fact, started their own businesses. And one thing I love that they do, they they decided they, they didn't want to just hire people who were looking for a job. They wanted to hire people who wanted to work at Amy's, who had heard it was a special place to be and really wanted to be there. So their job application process, they threw out the window and they decided anybody who comes in and asks for a job, we're going to give them a white paper bag, like the white paper bags we keep <laughs> behind the counter and tell them to do something <laughs> creative with it. And that's the job application process that they use. Uh, and the theory being, if you're just looking for a job, you're not going to know what to do with that. And you're going to not bother taking the time to, to figure it out. But if you really want to work at Amy's, you're going to take the time and figure out how to do something. And, you know, obviously – not every business is going to adopt that strategy, but I think the the thought of figuring out who really wants to work at your place, who has taken the time to figure out that you have something special to offer, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it sounds like they've taken a unique business model that they've come up with and they've been consistent in applying it, like, you know, the application process or the interview process. That's fascinating and probably very hard to, I think, uncover. So this, I guess that's what makes that list different than, you know, the typical competitions we see. I mean, they're popping up everywhere about these, you know, small business competitions and who floats to the top. And it's usually about revenue and growth and all that. So right. very cool. Very Some people cool. get confused with this because you know, we it's called small giants. We look for companies that are more focused on being great than be, growing large. Uh, but that doesn't mean these companies are not interested in growth. They all want to grow, uh, but they want to grow on their own terms. They don't want to grow at all costs. Um, and, and that's the key differentiator. So our listeners could potentially apply this coming year in The January, application right? will be available in a few weeks. Very uh, cool. Follow me on Twitter, at Al Feldman, and you'll know when it goes up. Um, please do consider it. But meanwhile... We happen to have a special guest right here in the uh, studio with us. Brought Celeste. along a small giant. We've got a small <laughs> giant right here, uh, based in Philadelphia. Russ Stark is here. He is CEO of the Think Company. Welcome to Mind Your Business, Russ. Well, thanks for having Welcome. me. Welcome. Uh, pleasure to have you here. Um, I want to talk about, uh, just as I did with Vital Farms and Amy's Ice Cream, what we thought was special about your business. It has a lot to do with the, the founders of the business mm -hmm. who had an interesting approach to bootstrapping and capital and succession. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, tell us a little bit. What, what is the Think Company? Sure. So Think Company, we are, uh, we are an experienced design company. Uh, with what exact experience design? design. Yeah. What does that mean? We're an experienced design company <laughs> with a strong focus in digital. So that starts to get a little closer. And really what that means is that companies are hiring us uh, to provide – to help them provide the best possible experience for their customers and employees. Um, and typically it's in the context of some kind of digital offering, um, although sometimes we do pull the lens out even further and they can just say – Listen, we want to redesign the entire customer experience or the entire experience between us and a customer or a healthcare professional or, you know, or their archetypical uh, consumer. Right. And in that case, we will analyze. All right. Well, what is what is that that, you know, the personas in, in your in your audience? What are their uh their workflows, their pain points, you know, their journeys, and then what should that look like in a more ideal world? And that's always going to be a mix of digital and non-digital. Um, and then, you know, we kind of say, all right, well, we can help you do these, uh, these things you're going to need to do yourself. It's, it tends to be a mix of people, process, product, and, and then, you know, but we put together on a roadmap and then start working on it together. And that has led to some uh, engagements with clients that have gone on for several years because we're helping them completely redefine the customer experience, the employee experience. And it's a lot of, you know, the buzz phrase, digital transformation. We're doing a lot of that with companies right now. I want to ask you if you would give us a, an example of a, you know, a typical project that you would um, do for a client. But before I do that, I just want to emphasize we're taking phone calls today. If you've got a question for Russ, uh, whether it's about digital design or digital or experience design sure. uh, or uh, any of the other things we talk about from succession to, to bootstrapping, please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. 
So can you, can you give us an example of the type of project you like yeah. to do? Yeah, I would say the typical product is or typical project is either that the company has a product that's not performing the way they want it to and they know it needs to be redesigned or they have a great product idea and we're going to build it from the ground up. Um, but what it, type of product? Or, yeah, and typically mm-hmm. it's digital, right? So it would right. be. Uh, you know, it could be a digital product like, you know, like, uh, I mean, we were the, we were the design team on Xfinity Mobile. So, you know, and we were brought in before that was a thing when it was still just a code word and they were trying to figure out if we uh, created a, uh, you know, a, a phone service through our company, what would that even look like? And and then the answer to that is not where you whip out a piece of paper and start drawing designs. The first answer is, well, why would people come here for that? What can we offer? What are, what's their current experience like? What works? What doesn't work? Where's the gaps? And all of, all of that kind of thing. And then figuring out where it fills the gap, right? But even that, again, is no matter what it is that we do, sometimes people might just want an app for something or they might want you know, a website that's going to perform some kind of service or, or provide a product. We're still going to ask a lot of meddlesome questions about the broader environment into which that thing is launched because it's not really – yes, those things are great. And especially if your business is a digital product like Spotify or whatever, you know, that's, that is the business. But it's, it's still a conduit to an experience because if, you're, if the experience isn't great, you know, then, then the product doesn't matter. And, and you also have to assume that all of those digital touch points are going to age out at some point. Or they're at least going to get updated. Um, so you're really—it's all in service of something bigger. What, what do you do? Um, just a quick question. So, yeah. very interesting that you're saying that the inside of the business and the business function that's supposed to be operating behind the design needs to be there and integrated with the design. Have you ever come across a situation where you've called, you've been called in a little too late? Maybe it's after it's been developed, <laughs> yeah. and, and you're, <laughs> Have, you're asking you happened? to slap on a you know a beautiful yeah. you know form, and and the function piece of this thing is not working. What do you do? And what um, tips would you give the listeners um, on making sure that those two are working together? Yeah, so the answer is yes, we have been brought into that situation often, um, but we won't engage if there isn't an opportunity to ask some of those very fundamental questions and maybe, maybe you know, uh, kind You'll of. You'll walk away from a client like that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that we say is. If all you want is a, is a fresh coat of paint on this thing and you don't want to make it work better or, or try to improve it or figure out you know, how you could really optimize it, then you should just hire a, a five-person agency somewhere. Like, like you shouldn't pay for us and you don't need us. But if, if you are you know, in a website design – like a website example, um, but if you've got a site that is really transactional, you want it to do some amazing things, you want it to take – some uh, pain off of your call center or off of, uh, you know, folks who have to close sales on the phone still or whatever it is. If you want to really, you know, update that thing and it's not, you want it to, you have metrics in terms of what you want it to do and it's not doing that today. um, That's a thing company problem. That's when you bring us in um, when it's something gnarly, not Mm -hmm. when it's something that's, that's, you know, fresh coat of paint. Does that uh, sometimes annoy your clients? Are they, they came in for a very specific reason and you're asking them uh, questions that go deeper that they don't really want to deal with. Does that happen a lot? And you're that, the designer, not yeah. the business person, just, just, right? just do what we're asking yeah. you to do. Yeah, well, that's that's a differentiator for us is that we're not order takers. And, and uh, I guess that has annoyed people. But these days, I'm glad to say that our reputation precedes us more than it did. So if we're in the room, people already know what we're going to be doing, and th- and they know that we're not just going to take orders. And that's actually really important now because um, we're more and more companies are hiring us to do these big digital transformations, and that requires sometimes us for us to have dedicated teams, sometimes multiple dedicated teams working for a client, you know, forty hours a week. And uh, and if that is happening. Um, we don't that can easily devolve into staffing right where where yeah. it's staff og and you're just taking orders that is not the think company way so we have to make it very clear that we will work for you in that way and we will have the smartest brains there are working on this initiative with you but that does not mean that it's going to be yeah open the door you know whipping the door open and yelling like i need 10 markups yeah, it's right a project like, that's Our not program. how it works yeah yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> I can see that being sort of a rat hole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
in, in a way, you you play a little a role, a little bit like a journalist. Uh, oh, you, yeah. You're asking a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it can get uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and and you have to right. The the reason why we do that is not because we just. I mean, we do love research, but we don't mm-hmm. do it just because we love research. It's because. The only way that we can guarantee that we're going to achieve what we say we're going to achieve together is if we do the research. You have to make design and development decisions based on objective evidence. You have to. Otherwise, all that you're getting is ego, bias. And and it's not that people haven't been successful designing against those things when they've taken a guess here and there. But the data says that is the very, very small exception. Do, Do you have any psychologists on staff? We have uh, cognitive psychologists, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> More folks with that background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us uh, about the founders a little bit. Sure. Uh, you're CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not one of the founders. That's right. Um, tell us a little bit about their view of the industry and why they built the company the way they did and the decision they made recently to, to step back. Yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to be part of the conversations that led to the, to the start of the company. Uh, Brian McIntyre, Carl White, I go back almost 20 years with those guys. And we worked at different companies together uh, for a while. Kind of, I, I was more me following. It was me following them, really. Um, and we would bounce around. But, but over the years, you know, we got to be really good friends. And just over lunch and things, would start collecting these these lists of man. If we if we did this ourselves, we could treat clients so much better by doing this. We could treat our employees so much better by having an environment like this. And that, you know, escalated to the point where. Uh, at one point, we were all working separate places, but Brian was uh, doing some freelance work for a client who said, hey, we really would like you to build a team and focus on this digital product f- with us. And and you were talking about starting a company, right? If you want to do that now, bring on someone. And they needed a program manager. That is not me, but that is Carl. So uh, those guys gave me a call and said, hey, I think we're going to actually do this and uh, just hang out because there might be an opportunity for us to build this team. And about two months later, uh, I came on. Um, so that's where it started. And then really from there, it for a while, we thought that we might just have a boutique, uh, you know, four or five person thing. Um, but very quickly, we realized we have something really special here and we can do this as well as anybody else. So why don't why don't we really take a shot at this? Um, and it happened because there were folks at other organizations who were saying, when can you guys come and do that work for us? So we we're like, there's a demand here. Um, so just kind of organically over time. Uh, and we've grown organically ever since. Uh, you know, it, it only happened based on demand, quality of work, uh, and then the relationships. And so we we built it that way. Um, and those guys. What what was the competitive field like? Were there there were other people in Philadelphia doing similar work? There were, and there were a handful of people that we always got asked, like, "Oh, so you're like company A, B, and C?" Interestingly, all of those companies are now gone. Um, so so the the folks that we looked up to when we started they're gone and that has been instructive because even then we were looking around and saying who do we want to be who do we not want to be now we're at a size that we're really like wow there's a lot of cautionary tales that we can that, that like we were very close to um that we've watched um but yeah so but then back to Brian and Carl so i was thinking about it on the walking on the way over here so my brother's in the military and uh and w- when he first uh took over command of a of a unit uh, he's in Louisville. I said, "Hey, should I fly in for that? That sounds like a really big deal." And he said, "No, no, no. You you don't fly in when I take when I take over because at that point you celebrate the people who started it, who 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 had it mm-hmm. before you." He said, "When I when I relinquish command, that's when you come," which he just did recently, and it was fantastic. Oh, wow. But but that's the way I feel about this. I, um, you know, again, like I really I did help build the company. I was there with those guys, but what they did was really special, and they helmed it for ten years. And and uh, and I still am in the mode of making sure that we we all recognize what they accomplished. And amazingly, that they were able to look at these cautionary tales and look at the overwhelming evidence that, especially in our industry, people either start just treading water or start going downhill. Um, you well, usually when they're about our size and our and our uh, age. And what drives that? Why is that? Again, I think it's ego. I, 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 you know, or and it's not just me. Like we had a lot of conversations, the three of us, about this. And, um, I, you know, it's just that you get to the point where, um, you know, those guys in particular, I'm, I'm very clear to say they didn't step down. They stepped up into being a board with a much broader view. And now I actually have a sounding board, right? So they never had a sounding board because there wasn't anybody else that knew knew our company as well. Um, Because that's the other thing. Like we have outside influencers and friends who influence our thinking, 
But nobody really knows Think Company the way that we do. And Think Company is unique. And there have been plenty of things over the years that people said, oh, that's that's a quaint vision, guys. You'll never be able to achieve that. Or you'll never be able to do X, Y, Z. You can't run a business that way. Well, we've done all of those things. Um, those guys know it intrinsically. So they are the appropriate sounding board um, for me. And um, so I just think that we looked at – who is it um, – What's his name? Goldsmith. He has the book. Uh, you know, what, Marshall. Yeah. What got you here? Won't get you there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really that simple. Like we said, look, we've been doing this for 10 years. We, we probably we need to change the approach. And I think us looking at, you know, yes, we, we could bring in some external folks to kind of weigh in. But really, like if they now establish themselves as a, as a broader thinking board, if Bruce McMahon uh, and myself took over as COO and COO, it just it felt right. And uh, and I know it wasn't an easy decision for those guys. Um, but it's it was a big one, and uh, and it's been great. Our guest is Russ Stark, CEO of the Think Company. If you have a question about your business, especially if it's about digital design or these uh, topics of succession and and leadership, please call us uh, with a comment, with a question, whatever you got. The number is eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Celeste, this must. I'm guessing you don't hear very many situations like this where a company's leaders decide to uh, step back or step up uh, the way Russ is deciding. No, you don't see it very often. And it, it is unique. And I also think, you know, as I was listening to you, what was interesting is there, you know, if we think about that whole, you know, digital world um, and its evolution, the first stage was uh, user interfaces and, you know, mm-hmm. quick, you know, quick turns on, you know, getting a website up. And then I, it, it occurred to me that these founders understood that it was a transformation, that connection between the business aspects of the company and the design and making them integrated. Um, so the question is, is so so they were able to get you to this point you were, and thinking ahead about digital transformation and staying ahead of the game while your competitors are sort of those quick turns interface. What is, it's evolving so fast. What's mm-hmm. the next stage and how are you going to tackle the, this next evolution? Yeah. Well, I, so what I, is it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, we that's the thing is Do that we the, have some indicators. There's a lot of people that, um, that will talk about what the next big thing is going to be. And those are very interesting articles, but for the most part, there's still science fiction until we see data that says otherwise. Right. Yeah. So we do get people that ask us once in a while, Hey, you're like, are you getting involved in AR and VR and blockchain? And my response to that is we need to know what it is and we need to know how we might use it. But I have yet to see, yeah. Um, I have yet to see a situation in which that is the right uh, solution for our clients because I'm not saying that stuff isn't cool, but but again, when you hire a thing company, it's not – I mean we do cool stuff, but we don't do cool for cool's sake. We only do cool when it is in service of a really crisp, clean, intuitive experience where it's so logical and makes so much sense that you know people just glide through it and sometimes don't even realize it. So you're solving um, a problem. Yeah, and that, yeah. That, that's exactly it. And it's kind of when you were saying before, like, you know, wherever these touch points are and integration and what's and, and, you know, what's going on out there. My response to that always is that's for us to grapple with. Um, but at the end of the day, the users don't care. They just don't care. And, and, and that's one of our mantras that we always remind clients of when like, wow, we really can't do this this way because we're organized like this internally and we could never do this because of legal. And, and it's like. Yeah, that may be true. Nobody cares. They don't care. <laughs> and, and and if they find a way to achieve what they want to achieve by going around you, they will do it because that you want to talk about how things are changing. That's certainly true that that the loyalty to digital properties, mm-hmm. um, it's not there. Um, and and I, th- I think even by extension to, to larger companies, I mean, the brand loyalty, I don't know, it's 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 kind of a. It's a bit of a dicey thing these days, um, especially if – I mean w- what we have certainly seen and what we've been called into remedy is that some of these very, very well-known brands, um, they've been coasting on their reputation for a long time. And there's a lot of people ready to eat their lunch. And if you can get out there and you can, and you can provide um, an experience that is much better and cleaner and easier – we're not even talking about cheaper here. Mm-hmm. Um, people will go that way. And, and there's evidence to show it. 
I want to go back to your founders for one more yeah, point sure. real quickly, um, because it, it, it can sound obvious, like, well, you know, why would anybody do anything other than what they've done here? But the right. fact is, I'm guessing they paid a price for this. If uh, I think some of the other companies you've described that are no longer uh, around or not around in the same uh, condition they were before, yeah. it has something to do with the fact that the founders at a certain point wanted to take some money off the table and maybe they took in investors or sold the business outright. Um, your founders probably could have done something that would have put more money in their pockets immediately oh, yeah. if they wanted to, other, you know, if they had chosen a, a different approach to the yeah, one they took. You know, that's a great point. I'm glad you said that because th that's the reason why this happened is exactly because of that, because um, our goal is not to sell this thing. And if it was, well, first of all, we wouldn't be a small giant. We wouldn't be getting best places to work. It wouldn't be happening because it would be very obvious what we'd be doing. We'd be grinding people out. In our business, the only way that you get a great margin that makes you really attractive is you really beat people up. That's not who we are. We have, we have a great, great uh, environment uh, that's really important to us. Um, you know, our culture is really important, and, and all of our business metrics are tuned to that. We're only our margin is only ever going to be a certain number because of the culture that is important to us. And that's OK. And that investors would not love that. And that's OK, because we don't have investors and we also don't have anybody else barking at us. Um, we are beholden to ourselves and to our customers. End of story. And that makes us that frees us up to do a lot of things in the name of relationship. And that is why we still exist and why we have thrived. When other people have been saying, ah, oh, nobody's buying this stuff anymore. Everybody's trying to do it in-house. Well, that has not been our experience. Hey, Lauren, I'm glad you brought went back to the founders because yeah. I want to dig a little deeper sure. in that too. So you said, I mean, this was not very interesting. The, the end goal wasn't to sell. Right. You know? So the question then becomes what is – the factor that these the founders factor yeah. that made them decide that, you know, was it passion for the business? What is it that's keeping them sort of, you know, still part of the business, oh, right. but stepping back? Yeah. I mean, there's they're certainly passionate. About yeah. It. And, and and their personalities are present in everything that we do. And they're not they're not like high up on a hill doing, you, you know, you know, like watching down. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I know that but they're they, not in your business every day. Either, well, no, right? they're, yeah. they're not there every day, but they have they have lunch with every new employee that starts. And oh, wow. I mean, they, they like they are they're they're dug in. Yeah. But but I think have what, you had any disagreements with them? Uh, it's I mean, I, I know that it would be great to tell a story like that, but that's not how we roll. Those guys are like <laughs> brothers to me. So we we started this on a very, very clear premise. Um, and then we have our set of core values that also guides what we do. So it's it's you know, the way forward is generally pretty clear. Uh, and I'm in very close contact with them, and 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 so we don't we don't get we don't get off uh, at a step too often. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think uh, you know they they stay involved in the ways that they want to stay involved. But I think um, you know well it's for the reasons I said before, and then also it's even what I would say in that um, this is an odd thing to be able to say, but but it is it is absolutely true, and I just have to own it that I am uh, we. we we have the designers that are now working on our projects are better designers than I ever was. And I'm like a designer of 20 years here, but they're better than I ever was. I don't know if I could, if I could walk off the street and be a designer at Think Company. That is incredible. Um, and I know those guys feel the exact same way. So I think all of us look for opportunities where we say, where am I best serving the business? Um, and I think, you know, again, those guys like kind of looking more broadly, I think they started to realize and just watching the way that Bruce and I were digging in and taking over the day to day. I think they just realized this this is, again, organically happening. So let's just codify that um, in a way that makes sense to everybody. Yeah. So just to follow that on on that conversation. So there had to have been some pretty frank discussions, first of all, about what the motivation was in the end game and you know the each of their roles i mean that that doesn't happen very often and and yeah. a, and uh i guess an honesty about what they do well and what they don't at this stage of the game and 
I don't think that happens very often. Is is that what happened? I mean, did you mm-hmm. guys have this like you know, sit oh, down? Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, but we've been we've been doing that for years. I mean, mm, it, it okay. was it was always their mandate that that at least with the three of us, and you know, we were like this across the company, sometimes to a fault, but certainly for the three of us, it was always our mandate that that we had to be open and honest with one another and have the hard conversations, and we had yeah. to do that. So. This was not something that happened overnight. I mean, we, we, we had been talking about this for at least the last two years, that this was where it was going. And it was because um, of their whole thing that like, you know, why would we mess with this? We don't want to change this. We're not interested in selling it for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. Let's take a quick break. Sure. We're going to come back for more uh, from Russ Stark, CEO of The Think Company, and your phone calls. If you have a question or a comment. Please call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Our producer, Michelle Stucker, is standing by, so you can call right now. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman here with Celeste Corrado, and this is Business Radio powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 111. You're listening to Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Here again, Lauren Feldman and Celeste Corrado. Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. Uh, I'm here with Celeste Corrado, and our guest is Russ Stark, CEO of The Think Company, which was recently named to the uh, list of 2018 Forbes Small Giants. You can learn more about the company online at thinkcompany.com, also on Twitter at thinkcompany. Uh, let's take a phone call. Jay in California, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hey, hey, thanks, Russ, please. So you're a citizen of some city or state, and, and so uh, maybe you, you, you got your team has been used by governments at some point, lo- local stuff, to help improve government services. If, even, if you, even if you haven't been hired by a local government service, what would be the sorts of questions you would ask or sorts of things you would think about to address some of the basic government services, water supply, streets, schools, what have you? You know what I'm talking about. Thank you. And I'll Ooh. take the answer off there. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jay. Thanks uh, for that question, Jay. It's yeah, really interesting. It I, is. Yeah. Knowing all you know uh, about design, when you look at what's out there from most governments, it must drive you a little crazy. Yeah, I was going to say it's a great question because when – Early on, when we when we would try to explain uh, to people why there was such a need for this, we we would use examples like that. Like, well, look, you know, look at this and look how broken it is. Wouldn't it be better if if, if we could fix that? Well, that's what our process uh, does. So the answer as to whether we've been hired um, is no. Now, now, and the reason for that is because, and we are actively working with a couple of government organizations to work them through this and help them change this practice. But it's because often uh, they put this stuff out to RFP and in the RFP, they have already outlined what the solution is. And they, and they are so specific about you need to do the, and they bullet it all out. And we've been able to say, yeah, like if you want us to do everything that you are saying you want us to do and that we have to respond to this RFP to the letter, you will never be able to afford it, number one. And also number two, what tells you that that's – why is that the right approach? You've done no research. Um, so we would never recommend – that's a good example of us you know, <laughs> not walking away but saying this is the wrong way. And we want to make legitimate change for people and this is not the way. So we won't sign up to, for, to doing it this way. Um, but the process would be – you know, to back it up a little bit and 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 uh, to do that research. And for us, you know, so if you're talking about, yeah, I mean, some of the big issues, right, water issues and things like that. Um, it's not that this process can't be can't be applied because design thinking certainly can. But I think a lot, you know, for us, it really is the process of um, what is what is every player in that ecosystem. So if you're talking about water in particular, it's not just and again, I don't know in what context you're talking about it, but it's not just the person turning on their tap. It's the people supplying it, you know, supporting it, the infrastructure. It's, you know, there are a lot of different people in that ecosystem that lead to that ultimate, you know, customer product or service. And, you know, what are the pain points for each of those uh, each of those folks, each of those personas? What are the jobs to be done? What are the workflows? What are their what are their journeys as somebody, you know, either supporting that service or accessing it or whatever it is? I mean, you have to. And the thing about it, too, is like you hear that and it sounds like some giant uh, consulting firm, like two years worth of research. It doesn't have to be that. 
Um, yeah. well, why don't you take us uh, take us through the the process a little bit? Yeah. Uh, can can you uh, you don't have to give us a name, but okay. uh, imagine a client that you actually have chosen to do business sure. with. Uh, can you tell us what the the challenge was, what the assignment was, and kind of how you approached it? Right. Okay. So, um, uh, well, th- this would be a good one to illustrate the process. Right. It, it was a pretty big ask. It, it, the the ultimate ask was it was from a pharmaceutical company, and they were saying, you know, we really want to stay engaged with folks when they want to get um, information on our drug and how to prescribe it and when and at point of care decision making and and they they don't seem to be coming to us or they're only coming to us for very specific questions and they're go- we don't know where they're going or why but we're not engaging with them the way that we want to and we don't know why. Um, and and then you know and then the, the the parentheses to that is always they have in mind something like we want to have a medical information portal available for to them, um, and always following that statement is a presupposition where they say you know that should be a portal and it, and there should be lots of beautiful pictures on there that they will love with people who are frolicking through fields because they're so happy they're on this drug and you know all the all all the stuff that agencies have been doing for years and years and everybody what, what drug was this by the way yeah and everybody is so pre-programmed to think that that is the answer i mean there's a lot of ruts right and there's a lot of presupposition even in digital because it's been around long enough and, you know, we did the research with actual. So the first thing we did was, OK, who are you trying to serve? Oh, they're actual physicians. They're actual nurses. They're all right. Let's figure out what are what are the broad strokes of who these people are? There's admin. They're admin folks in medical facilities. So, you know, we identified the five or six main personas. We went and did first some big quantitative surveys with folks that fit those uh, archetypes and then made sure from the quantitative data that we could kind of crunch that and make sure that it did align to what we thought was unique about each of those personas. Then you go and have one-on-one qualitative conversations with seven to 10 people who represent, who who actually are each of those persona types. And you go a lot deeper on, again, their workflows, their pain points, jobs to be done, all those kinds of things. And then you have research as your trump card to come back and say, yeah, you think that that what they want are these beautiful pages with photorealistic pictures and everything. They don't want any of that. In fact, what the research shows us is that they are saying, when I see that stuff, I immediately think that you are trying to sell me something. You're also providing me all of this basic information on the disease I'm treating. I will. I, I don't want that from you. And I'm never going to use that information that you give me. So stop trying to be my one-stop shop, which was a term we heard all the time, mm-hmm. because you're not going to be my one-stop shop. Um, what I want for you is something really clean, really scientific that I can get right to what I want right away on every device immediately and then I'm gone. That's what I want from you. And so we designed that. And here's another thing. Wait, wait, did you, before you designed yeah. it, you had a conversation with your client. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes. they, yeah. they bought it from you? They, they agreed? They accepted it? Well, we used the research as the yeah. trump card. And it was like, you're saying that you Pretty want powerful. XYZ, but this is what the target audience is saying. So we, it, it wasn't, it's not like it happened overnight, but we did win that battle. And that also happened through not just building the whole thing and then standing it up, but, but a series of, you know, putting together some early MVP versions of, of things, putting it out there back in front of this audience and getting it validated, right? And then, like, kind of, you know, getting through stage gates and earning earning the ability to, to build the whole thing. And then once we did, getting immediate feedback from this target audience saying, wow, this is the first time that I've ever been given something by you that feels like it is exactly what I asked for. It's exactly what I need. And there were still people, you know, saying these these very very tired things like well why isn't everything one click away and 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 how come you know now we're seeing when we're looking at the metrics on site we're seeing people they're not they're not going to a bunch of pages they're just going to this one page and they're staying for 2 minutes and leaving and the doctors are going exactly exactly <laughs> I, I i the reason why i was clicking around before is because i couldn't find anything and then yeah i was leaving and i was never coming back but look what's happening now. Yeah, I was there. I left. And now I'm coming back the next time I have a question because you answered it so cleanly and thoroughly. I know I can use you as a resource. So people have to reset their expectations for what is a logical metric to measure success based on – and it's not all about the user. It's also about the care and feeding of the business. But what are – where do you triangulate what's best for the business, what's best for users, and what – what capabilities you have based on infrastructure and technology at the center of that is where great 
design lives. So if you have a question uh, about a digital challenge that you're facing, give us a call. Uh, let Russ Stark take a crack at it uh, in the time we have remaining. <laughs> oh We're at one eight four four. one I'm offering your services up for free. That's okay, isn't it? <laughs> yes, sure. Good. one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. 942 You say that there was a battle. Uh, how, how much of a battle was there? Did, did, did they... Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they got it. It's no, no, I mean, it, it's, it took a while. Yeah, yeah, it's not uncommon for this to be yeah. a battle. In fact, it often is a battle. Um, but, you know, we love working for folks internally who are ready to go to bat and will, uh, you know, will shake things up a little bit. And again, we don't do that just for the sake of the drama. It's, you know, like, like we don't know. It would be easier not to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like kind of going back to the stories before. Like we don't, we don't do a whole lot of anything for the sake of drama. I mean, we're doing this, you know, to have a great company and to, you know, have great people and have great relationships. I mean, and we've done that. We created the kind of place we wanted to work and we're not interested in the drama and we're not when it comes to the, to the delivery of the work either. So we don't come in and do the mad men thing and act like we know every, everything and everybody else is stupid, but we don't, we don't do that. Um, and so we don't do that when we come back with the research either, but it's, you know, it's always in service of, okay, you are saying that you want the future to look like X, Y, Z, and you want to engage with people in this way. Well, this is who these people objectively are and what they are asking for. So the answer on how to serve them is this. And the things that you are saying you want to see, they don't have a place in this. And that doesn't mean that sometimes certain things aren't baked in, you know, to check a couple boxes for people. Um, but uh, but again, we won't be order takers in that way. So mm-hmm. is there a particular type of challenge that you see most often uh, from the uh, the clients you work with? What, what, oh, are, yeah. the, what are they very struggling similar, with? Similar, you know, similar parts of the process and the decision making and the problem solving part of this. We get the same thing, a business owner coming in with a very sort of deeply rooted assumption and without the data. Right. And uh, when we have an opportunity, we we do we don't work with clients either that don't keep an open mind and willing to let us find the information for them. But it it just it's it is common sense in that you know go get the data and it's it's fairly cheap. I think you even mentioned this is not an in, super it doesn't have to be a super expensive endeavor. Yeah. So we actually got them to go out and do the same thing. I think you talked about you know. Uh, going and gathering, you know, the information mm-hmm. directly from the users. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, in a way, you're talking about the first stage in design thinking, right? That's oh, yeah. The term, and I want the user, the listeners, to know what design thinking is. You just described that process. Yeah, design thinking is, is getting em- the data yeah. first part, you know, firsthand, which is empathy. But that's the empathy, the piece. empathy piece of this yeah. thing. Um, coming back with the insights that were garnered from that. And then you talked about um, the listeners might not know what an MVP is. Oh, sure. So it's a minimum viable product. And what that really means is for quick, you know, really quick turns, test the assumption on Mm -hmm. the data coming in, right? And that's, I think, what I heard you say. Yep, absolutely. And then um, go in and test it again pretty cheaply. You can probably just do a quick, do you do quick mock-ups and you know, yeah. visuals that that can quickly, cheaply test this stuff. Yeah, and 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 in, and in in some ways, I'm I'm certainly talking about the process in a more idealized way, right? But right. But uh, depending on you know what kinds of of pressures we're up against together, um, there have been times that we've done design validation with yeah with mockups and with wireframes and things that aren't even you know clickable or working. I mean, like you can you can move through this process a lot more quickly than it would seem. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and you know, very very frequently we're we're being asked to do some pretty amazing, you know, pretty big things in short periods of time um, with constraints. And those just, they just end up being constraints. And then we figure out how to move through that process. But you can, by following the design thinking process um, and, and adhering to its tenants more than anything, you can get a lot done in, in, in a short period of time. Um, and, and you can get some, you can get some statistically relevant data uh, a lot more quickly than people would, would think. Yeah, we're seeing that too. So, so the, to answer your question, Lauren, the process is the same for business. You know, a business owner and uncovering a problem and a solution and trying to bust the assumption and get down to the facts and come up with the solution that you know that works. And what we see a lot is a mismatch between um, product market fit. And you're talking about the fit between the design and the problem that you're, the business problem you're trying to solve mm-hmm. and making sure they're integrated but the process it's fascinating to me design thinking can be applied 
in business aspects as well as the design piece of this. Well, and in and people's personal lives. Yeah, like design thinking. Absolutely. That, that's the thing Careers, that we say is, is you that know. you know, yeah. So sometimes it's it's a battle with folks, but I, but I I do want to be clear that like you know we we love our clients and we're like really good friends with them all, and and uh, and all of us are prone to to eschewing this process because when we're under a lot of stress, we miss these steps. So a mm-hmm. lot of what, what we're almost, we're kind of like brought in to be, uh, you know, to be the guardians of the process and to keep reminding like, no, like this is how we drive bias and ego out of our decision-making. And those are the things that we're, that's what we're trying to do essentially. Um, you know, is, and, and just keep on the guardrails, follow this process because it is proven. That doesn't mean that everything you do, the first time you do it, it's right. But it means yeah. that there is a process to move through that that gets us there because we always have. So you spend all this time thinking about good design, but yeah. but you're not just a CEO of a design company. You're also a consumer and you're also oh, yeah. on the web the way the rest of yeah. us are. And you must see design out there that just oh drives you crazy. Yeah. What <laughs> what do you see most often that uh, that drives <sighs> you crazy? Yeah. Well, ask my wife that. It, dri- <laughs> it, it drives her insane because like we can be doing the most mundane things. And I'm like, I, it, it shouldn't work this way. <laughs> uh, I think – you know, and, and I'm and I'm doubly frustrated about it in in uh, in digital spaces, right? Um, because yes, like workflow through uh, stores and things like that can be frustrating, but but I, I get doubly frustrated about it digitally because like mm-hmm. I I take it as like a personal affront. Like somebody some somebody just was so lazy and, and didn't think about this that uh, that it it is now putting because of that it's now wasting all of my time and it's making me super frustrated so uh, my my classic example is and luckily most of this has been eradicated but have you ever gone to an ATM machine and you put in your card and the first thing it says is would you like a balance and if you say yes it gives you your balance and it spits the card out thank you <laughs> as if as if that is the most common workflow are you well, i came to a money machine i i am probably here Not to a balance yeah, machine i'm probably here to get my money i i <laughs> I, I, you know, it's always the assumption of like, yeah, well, when you give me my money, sure, I'll take a balance at the same time, right? But that was a very common workflow for a long time, and that's the kind of and those those little microaggressions are everywhere, <laughs> yeah. and they just make me throw up my hands, and and I can't resist calling them out. Yeah, you you referred to you know, thinking the same issue, but uh, in physical stores and the the, sure. the flow through the stores, which makes me think that you know, there's so much talk these days about balancing both the digital world with mm-hmm. bricks and mortar. And you know, I hear lots of business owners talking about how, uh, you know, while the focus for so long was on picking one or the other, yeah. now more and more people are thinking about how the two work together. Yeah. Have you had many projects along those lines? Or what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, so we're very much involved there. So we're, um, we, we don't do like a ton of industrial design or, uh, or design of physical things right now. Um, but there have been times that clients have said – because when we do the visioning work, like when we do the research and then say, all right, you have these five personas and here is a more optimal future for each of these personas when they are interacting with you as a, as a brand. That is always, to your point, it is always a mix of digital and non-digital, always. And it is our job to articulate from an experience design standpoint, this would be a better experience. And it's always a mix of people, product, and process. And sometimes it has it has led to things like, yeah, I mean, people are super frustrated with the physical workflow of your store. Or for us, in one case, it was the physical workflow of an emergency room. And we did get involved with the redesign of it because it's like, well, look, the research has shown us that people are getting jammed up in this one space. They don't know where to go. There's no signage. It doesn't, you know, all, it was like pretty easy stuff to fix. I, I said that too. Like a lot of times what we do is pedal common sense, but, pod- but common sense gets lost in the fray. Um, but yes, it's always a mix of digital and non-digital, regardless of what anybody's out there, you know, screaming about on soapboxes. I don't think that's going to go away because we're we're people. So unless we jack into a matrix at some at some point and our bodies don't mean anything anymore, it's always going to be a mix of digital and non-digital. And I think the smart experiences know that. And and you know, and even if you look at like a Spotify or something in the way that now they have even their playlists are like, well, I'm running or I'm cooking or I'm doing this, right? It's it's designed to to augment and amplify a physical experience, not to, you know, take you away completely. Um, so, you know, in, in my opinion, the smart money is there. But 
Um, but I'm not big on predictions. Back to before, I'm big on what is the data showing us, and that's why some of the things that people are, are really ranting and raving about being the future. Um, my response is, we'll see. There's a lot of work to be done right yeah, now. Right? We'll see. Yeah. What do you think about voice? A voice is, is 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 that the present or the future? No, that's here. It's that's here. what I'm saying. Like voice is not are things gonna gonna go that way? Things are going oh, that way. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Um, and we've already been involved in uh, in quite a few voice projects, so that's we're there. And I mean, and the tech. Can but, you talk about a creative use of uh, a voice? Um, well, first of all, let me say that the there's universal principles of design that have always been true, and they will continue to be true no matter what the technology is. And that's why I don't get all crazy about this stuff with wringing my hands because the tenants will remain true and we will figure out how they will apply to new technologies as we did with voice. How you, how you go through the process of designing for a voice workflow, it is very, I mean, it's not like there's some brand new deliverable. It's a new delivery mechanism, but it's, you know, it's not wildly different. Um, It feels so different. Does it to you as a user? I mean, it isn't in, in terms of the interaction model, but how you build it underneath you know, it's a series of queries and what happens as a result and error handling. And, you know, it's the same kind of stuff that's been around for a long time. And it actually, uh, you know, error handling and things like that sound very digital. But really, you could use that term to apply for before there were computers. Mm-hmm. Let's take a phone call. Darius in Georgia. Welcome to Mind Your Business. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I own a small business and I'm always looking for ways to leverage my selling mechanism. And I wonder if you could give me some advice on how small businesses can use digital tools to identify and monetize new customers. We only have a few minutes left. Russ, any thoughts? Uh, To identify and monetize customers. So, um, yeah, I mean – well, I, I would say, again, like really what that comes down to is, is just clearly articulating like what, what your challenge is, right? So um, in, in my opinion, it would, be, it would be to follow the design process. And, and, you know, I know that there are tools out there and folks that would get right into, hey, here's a tool you can use to do that kind of thing. But to me, it would be, well, step back and take the first step. And if you haven't done it before, create some personas for who your, your target person is, the kinds of people who have bought from you before, the kinds of per- people that – you got close and then they bailed. Find out why. Talk to them about that. And then people who have who don't even know about you but should be uh, a consumer of your product or service and put together those personas and give you something to design against and look at where are they active now? What are they likely to do? What I would say for sure is don't just listen to somebody selling snake oil and saying if you buy this app or buy this portal, oh, man, you know, it, all, this is automatically going to happen because th- it's not. You have to do the research first and find out who these people are and what they are doing now when they make similar purchases because you don't want there to be a huge ramp to some new new kinds of, of new kind of interaction that you're now providing for them that they've never done before. Is that helpful, Darius? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, Darius, thanks. Thanks for your phone call. Um, do you think there's a, a big difference between he, he was specifying for a small business? And yeah. I think his issue is, you know, meaning a business that doesn't have a lot, a lot of money to spend. Yeah. Is, is that uh, something that comes up a lot for us? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, we're like we're like the A team. It's like if you, okay. if you can find us and you want to work with us, we, we, we usually That's try a nice to, place to be. Yeah, we usually try to figure it out. And, and um, we, we have worked for I mean, we work for some of the biggest companies out there and we've worked for small startups and. Really what it comes down to is if they come to us and say, listen, we want to get to the point where everybody else who even wants to compete with us is going to be chasing us for the next five years. We want to invest in that with you. We'll figure out how to do it lean. Yeah. And and the things you were just talking about, persona and some of the homework, Mm -hmm. it's not costly. Yeah. You know, well, and it's, and it's pretty obvious, but a lot of people just don't want to do the work. <laughs> exactly. <you know? laughs> exactly. Russ Stark, thank you so much for joining thank us today. Sure. Uh, thank you for letting me offer your services for free. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I did that. that. I'm not sure I did that. <laughs> thank you for letting me ramble for this amount of time. If you want to keep up with Russ, <laughs> if you want to keep up with Russ and the Think Company, go to thinkcompany.com or on Twitter at Think Company. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time, but uh, we're here live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Our thanks to audio engineer. 
uh, Danielle Bruno and producer Michelle Stucker. Celeste Corrado, always great to see you. Great to see you too, Lauren. If you want to hear more about the Warren Small Business Development Center and Celeste, you can Google it and find her there. You can find me on Twitter, at Al Feldman. Uh, until next time, I'm Lauren Feldman. And I'm Celeste Corrado. This has been Mind Your Business on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 